doesn't seem like it was that long ago that I would stand up here and say, God is good, and you would say, all the time, and I would say, all the time, and you would say, God is good. So let's do that again. Are you ready? God is good, and all the time, yeah, do you believe that? I mean, all the time? Because you, you, you see, there are people who struggle with God, with the God of the Bible. They, they, they want to ask, if God is so good, why does he allow such suffering and pain in our world? Now, we could easily say, God is great all the time, and all the time God is great, but they would ask, if God is so great, why didn't he stop? the terrible things from happening. They want to know, hey, where is God when life goes dark? Where is God when evil erupts? Where is God in in the midst of natural disaster when an earthquake, a, a hurricane cuts a killing path of death and destruction? Where is God when cancer attacks a person or a pandemic attacks a whole planet? Where is God? Where is God right now when so many people suffer from mental health issues, anxiety, depression? Where where is God when the worst thing happens to the most innocent among us? Where is God? When darkness comes, when the shadow of darkness covers your soul, when the shroud of darkness covers our world, to find God in the dark, look to Jesus for the light. Now, maybe that seems a bit naive. Maybe that seems like a churchy thing to say, but I am 70 years old. And after seven decades, I know the only person that works to pierce the darkness, to penetrate the darkness, and to push back the darkness is Jesus, our Savior. You you see, you, you see, I've been through lots of education, and you can't teach evil out of somebody. I love our government, cherish my freedom, but you cannot legislate evil out of our culture, out of our world. All the money in the world can't pay evil enough to go away. All the business, organization, and acumen, you can't organize evil away. When life goes dark, when the world is shrouded in darkness, when you want to find God in the dark, look to Jesus for the light. Let me explain how I think this works by taking you into the word of God. We're journeying, this church is going through the book of Mark, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're finding him this week in chapter 10. And get this, this text was selected months ago for this weekend. So here we go together in the word of God. Scripture says, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem. Three key words, they, now, Jerusalem. Who are they? Well, they are people just like us, regular, everyday, ordinary people who have suffered pain, difficulty, who who have endured unfair loss of a loved one. These people, they, 
They are people who live every day in their culture with hostility, violence, and unspeakable murder. Because the, low, the roads in, in Israel were lined with crosses. And as these people walked about their daily life, they walked by victims still writhing in agony and death. Every day, that was what they saw. They didn't need Facebook. They didn't need the TV news. They saw it in real life every day. Who are they? They are us. But they, that they, they have decided to follow Jesus. They have decided that in this dark world, there is only one hope and his name is Jesus. There is only one power greater than the evil that has come against them and it is Jesus. And they have decided to follow him even if he leads them to Jerusalem. Because you see, just as our world is not a safe place in which to live, Jerusalem was a very dangerous place for Jesus. Just weeks prior, the powers that be, the political power, the religious power in Jerusalem tried to kill Jesus on the spot. And now he's going back. What's Jesus thinking? His followers were like, why would he put his life in harm's way? Why would he lead us back to great risk? Look at the word of God. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem. And check it out. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. Oh yeah, death awaits. Brutality, merciless torture. The worst possible thing to the best possible person. And Jesus goes first. If it's dangerous, Jesus goes first. If there's suffering, Jesus goes first. If there's unjust Hurt, violence, Jesus goes first, steps first right into it headlong. Jesus goes first. It's the way unconditional sacrificial love always works. Unconditional sacrificial love always goes first. That's how you know if you really love someone. You want to be the first at every opportunity to show unconditional love. You want to be the first at every opportunity to display loving sacrifice on their behalf. A great cost to you. You give up so they can have more. You want to be the first. That's love. And that's how Jesus, that's how we know he loved us. While we were still at our worst. While we were still at our ugliness. While we were still steeped in our sin. Jesus died for us. To make us right with God. He went first. He showed unconditional acceptance. He went first. He did the unbelievable sacrifice. He extended his love to the most undeserving. And so, Jesus is going first, but check it out. There are people that are staying as close to him as they can. And this is huge because where do you want to be? Where is the best place to be when the world goes dark? When evil erupts, where's the best place to be? Best place to be is as close to Jesus as you can get. And that's what's going on in the text. The disciples, there's 12 of them. They are Jesus' closest friends. And they are huddled right behind him. He's going first. He's on the move. He's marching toward the danger, toward his death. But as he walks that dusty road, the dust that comes up off his sandals, they're so close, it's falling on their robes. The disciples closest to Jesus, were filled with awe. This, this is what happens. I mean, when you are close to him, he becomes the center of your world. 
and you, you just do life. You, do, you live amazed by his presence. I mean, bad stuff is still happening. Hurt still occurs. Problems rise up. Challenges. The worst case scenario begins to unfold in your life and others. But when you're close to Jesus, you live amazed at his peace. You live amazed at his love. You live amazed at his compassion. You live amazed that he's at work to your good. You live amazed that he makes everything beautiful in its time. You live amazed that he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine. When you're close... To Jesus, the amazement only happens with proximity because there were others following Jesus, but, 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 but they were hanging back. Here's the text. The disciples were filled with awe because of the closeness to Jesus, but the people who followed behind were overwhelmed with fear. The people who follow behind, who, who, the people hanging back, not amazement, overwhelmed with fear. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by life, by your life? Have you ever had this sense of being overwhelmed? It's a sign. When you feel overwhelmed, it's a sign you got to catch up to Jesus. You got to get a hustle in your bustle and a quiver in your liver and get as close to Jesus as you can. Because the, the, the sense of being overwhelmed bleeds away in his presence. The sense of amazement grows in his presence. Those hanging back, did you notice they were overwhelmed with fear? Because what happens when you, when you drift and hang back from Jesus, you begin to manufacture in your mind worst case scenarios. And then you begin to obsess with, on them. And as you think on them, the fear grows. And the fear grows. Your life becomes dominated by fear, anxiety, and worry. Those who hang back from Jesus simply hold on to the fear. So Jesus, he doesn't want those closest to him to be negatively affected by the fear of those hanging back. So he calls a timeout right there on the road, calls a timeout, huddles up with his 12 closest friends off to the side of the road. And then he just gets real with them. It's not a happy times real. It's not a pleasant real or a pretty real. It's just a real real. Jesus says this to them. He kind of scans, looks into the heart, looks through the eyes into the soul of every man and says this, when we get to Jerusalem, it's going to get ugly. I will be arrested. There's no getting around it. I will be taken before the chief priest and the religious, the Jewish leaders who will sentence me to die. And then they'll hand me over to the Romans and it's going to really get bad because the Romans... They are experts at this. They will mock me. They will press a crown of thorns on my brow. They will blindfold me and then they will strike me. And they'll say, hey, since you're such a God man, just tell us who hit you. And they'll hit me. And they'll hit me. They beat his face beyond recognition. Mock him. You're not good enough to have a beard. And they forcibly pulled his beard out by the roots. I know what's going to happen. I know the suffering that awaits me. They will mock me. They will spit in my face. And they will flog me with their whips. Now, their whips were cats of nine tails, nine leather strips. At the end of each strip was a piece of rock, a sharp piece of metal, or glass. 39 lashes would be administered to the victim's back. 
The, the, the nails, the rocks, when they were pulled out, they would dig out flesh. And the idea was not just to dig away the flesh, dig away muscle, chunks of bone. The idea, we want to rip his spine into. That was what they would go for. And that's what Jesus was telling his followers, what he would be called to endure. <laughs> they will kill me. And Romans killed by crucifixion. Nails through the wrists and through the ankles. But Jesus said, you know what? Everything they do to me, they can do the worst. They can mock me, crown of thorns. They can pull out my beard. They can beat my face. They can hit my head again and again and again with a club. They can spit on me. They can whip me till I'm nearly dead from blood loss. But on the third day, I'm coming back. On the third day, I'm conquering hell, death, and the grave. On the third day, I will rise from the dead. So why would Jesus do this? Why does he have this real, real moment? Because he wants his guys to know suffering is a part of this life. I'm gonna suffer. I have come to suffer for you. You see, on the cross, he was our substitute. On the cross, he was taking our place, getting the punishment we deserve for our sin so that we would be spared that kind of punishment. He took it on himself. It's not just though that Jesus the, the evidence of his crucifixion and all his suffering is not just that he would do it for us, but it's evidence that when we suffer, whether it's in a grocery store and, and, and a person is killed because of the color of their skin, or it's in a church in California, or it's in an elementary school, he comes to suffer with us. He comes to suffer with us. Jesus is the God who comes to be with us when we suffer. In fact, he closed that moment with these words. He declared, for even I, the Messiah, that means he's claiming to be God. Even I, God, came. And see, the word came there is there to communicate to us that he came from heaven. It's not like he came from the store or came from having breakfast. Jesus is God who came from heaven. Jesus is God who came to earth through human birth. Fully God, fully human in every way. In fact, it was tested, tried, troubled in every way that we are tested, tried, and troubled. It's just that where we have all failed miserably, he passed every test with flying colors until he had lived a sinless life in absolute innocence. He was willing to die for all. in their place for their sin. And I, as God, Messiah, came not to be served. You would think if he's God, he deserved to be served. It would only be right to serve God if he came. Even I, God in the flesh, came not to be served, but to serve, and that's us. If we are his followers, then our life is all about serving others by, by doing good by helping out, by meeting their needs with the love of Christ. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The word ransom there that Mark uses, he uses the Greek word lutron. And it means the costly price paid to set a slave free. I mean, if you saw a slave and your heart went out to the slave and 
You, you, you wanted to be compassionate toward the slave. You wanted to see the slave set free. Man, you go into your pockets and you would pull up all the cash necessary to pay for the slave's freedom. You're free. Jesus said, I died on the cross so that you would have the ultimate experience of true freedom forever. So where is this Jesus who died and rose from the dead? Where is God when evil erupts? Where is God when the worst possible thing happens to the most undeserving and innocent among us? Where is God? Well, if you will allow me, my imagination, and what I understand of Jesus and his word, I will give you my answer for me. This is, this is how I answer that question. Where is God? This is how I answer that question for me. When there is a potential perpetrator intent on doing vile evil, I believe Jesus is relentlessly pursuing that person and pleading with that person, stop don't do this. What you're thinking, stop thinking what you're thinking. Don't do this. You don't have to do this. There can be a different outcome. Stop. Don't, don't do this. Don't go another step. Turn around. T turn to me. Lay down the gun. Let, walk away from the violence. You don't have to do this. Stop. Stop. Please stop. Don't do this. Turn. Turn to me. I, I believe that Jesus just doesn't even take a breath and just pleads and pleads and pleads with the potential perpetrator. But when that perpetrator refuses the pleading of Jesus and enters what will become the crime scene and unleashes unspeakable evil, hostility, violence, injury, and death, I, I, I believe this is the answer for me. Where is God? I believe God is in Jesus. And Jesus flies to the victims and he gathers them down on his knees. He gets down in their woundedness and in their hurt and in their death. And he just tenderly and lovingly gathers them up in his arms. I mean, all of them. And he says, don't be afraid. I am your God. I've come to be with you. I've come to help you. I've come to take you with me to my father's house. In my father's house, there is no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no death. In my father's house is life forever. In my father's house is joy and peace and love. I've come to take you to my, I've been preparing a place for you in my father's house. Come and be with me in my father's house. Come, rest in my father's house. That's where I believe God is. In the worst kind of suffering, I believe God is in Jesus, gathering and loving and comforting and saving and taking to glory those who have been victimized by violence. Taking them into eternal life and that same Jesus of eternal life, he's right here, right now, in this moment, in this room, online, in the air you breathe. And he is present to minister to you, 
do not be afraid, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am with you. I will hold you. I will strengthen you. You trust in God? Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. But right now, right now, come unto me, all ye who are tired and weary, and I will be your rest. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.